Podcast episode uh, 216. I'm your host, Mike Apps, Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, not a pro skater, but trying to release my monster. And your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaijin Minogatari. So how y'all doing? Uh, I was playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater, so pretty well, actually. <laughs> That's not PG. Even though it does have stats. <laughs> I think it counts, damn it. No, it doesn't. You don't even think that. But yeah, so I, I've... Or Japan's in the season of uh, random, slightly questionable soda flavors. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did a couple of columns on the pandemonium, but um, so last night I picked up something called Spice Factory, the Craft Cola. Huh. Which, That's uh, concerning. Yeah, which advertises, um, it's like spices of the world and domestic um, lemon. Actually, that's not lemon, but the domestic citrus. And so it's got nutmeg, cinnamon, cloves, and cardamom, as well as lemon peel extract from Satuchi lemons. Mm-hmm. And I was, as I was mentioning to Dave, it also has sucralose, mm. which is um, which is fine with a lot of people. It's not fine with me because I can really taste it. So. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah. So what if it's literally one kilocalorie per bottle? Um, I'm not going to be finishing this. Yeah. So. But it's it, it's not the worst thing I've ever had in this country, which is sad to say. And it, tastes, it doesn't taste half bad until the aftertaste of sucralose kicks in, and then I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So. So I, I don't know exactly which genetic predisposition, eh, predisposition this is that I can actually taste it that strongly, but it also means that I am a, never a Pepsi man, ever. You know, so. Pepsi's gross. And I cannot stand the aftertaste. Um, but the other one I just picked up in a can a few minutes, uh, like 30 minutes ago, is... Um, well, I'm not. I don't think I've ever actually tried this particular citrus. It's called pankan. It's. Um, I mean, Japan's got like a, literally a dozen different varieties of citrus, and this one looks like a cross between a lemon and a grapefruit. Mm. And um, but this one actually has real fruit juice in the soda, and it does not have sucralose. So I have much higher expectations of this drink. Mm. Yeah. Should be fine. And of course, I have I mean, I have yet to see what Pepsi's newest abomination against all good taste is. Aside from the existence of Pepsi. Yeah. No, I mean, Pepsi has a reputation for just going really weird with the seasonal flavors. Hmm. And um, I try them every year just to, to say that I did. And the only one I ever tried more than once was uh, a soda based on... Uh, golden sapote fruit from the Gulf of Mexico, Yucatan area. Mm -hmm. That was good. 
None of the others have been. Um, but they've been memorable. Um, I remember many things I regret. Yes, we do. So, I mean, so far they've had Pepsi Cucumber, Pepsi Mont Blanc, Pepsi Strawberry Milk, Pepsi Cinnamon, Pepsi Blue Hawaii, the snow cone flavor, Pepsi Azuki Bean. Uh, what others have I tried? Pepsi... Uh, Pepsi Baobab. Hmm. Apparently you can oh. turn Baobab leaves into a tea. And they based a soda on that. Hmm. You know Baobab, right? Yes. Large, funky-looking, thick-trunked tree native to Madagascar, East Africa, and certain small asteroids. Yes. Um... You've seen them before. If, if you watched Lion King recently, you have seen those things. Okay. I mean, I haven't watched it recently, but, um, but I have watched it many, 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 many times. I can commiserate my most recent times three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um... But yeah, I think this, the Golden Sapote flavor was the only one I ever tried t more than once, and actually enjoyed that one the entire summer. It's and still not the weirdest flavors I've ever had. Uh, last uh, two years ago, there was a uh, uh, baked corn soda. Gross. Nope, nope, not here for it. Yeah, no. But hard, quite gross, and even pass. worse, it was a really dry soda, uh, like almost no sugar flip or almost no sweetener. So oh. it was like tasting tonic water flavored with corn. Oh. I ate tonic water to begin with. Oh. Yes, me too. Um, and then there was a time the big supermarket had... Well, the watermelon soda wasn't that bad. And, I don't, and the peach soda was pretty good. The third one in that set was durian. Ah. Oh. Which is the fruit that is literally illegal to bring on public transport in Malaysia, Thailand, and Singapore. Anywhere it's come. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, because it smells like really gasoline. The rind produces the most noxious smells. Um, but now the soda itself was pretty good until you let it sit for a few minutes and it started oxidizing out. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, it never got as bad as you might imagine, but it the taste took a considerable downturn after the five, first five minutes. So that was one to drink fast. And then last, um, I guess about eight months ago, for some reason, this one uh, this one vending machine at one of my schools, uh, it had a uh, Fanta flavor of the world for a limited time. And the flavor was Lulo. You know Lulo? Probably not. No, not off the top of my head. Um, I mean, Lulo is, it's got two names. First one's Lulo, the other one is like Naranjilo or something, or something like that. It means like little orange. Mm. Um, it's not actually an orange, it's basically a very fruity cousin to the tomato. And mm. that one was actually pretty good in spite of the sucralose mixed in. So, um,. <laughs> So, that was actually pretty good. But yeah, Japan just loves limited time sodas, and it's always interesting to try them. So I'm just 
starting taking pictures again, and I'll be probably sharing them on Twitter. As in, I can't believe I just drank this. Mm -hmm. Boom. Uh, well, I don't want to think about yeah. the limited sodas we get here, so I'm going to not think about this and move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so what have we all been playing? Wheels is currently well, doing um, unspeakable things on the stream, so yeah. we'll let guys start. Well, um, I am up. I was doing Riki's quest on Saga Frontier. Rikio, wait, no. Riki, um, and got up to the Ring Lord Virgil. Nice. And remembering why everybody hates this battle, <laughs> because um, you can't actually do damage to them. Uh, all. What you have to do to win the battle is to uh, string together combos. And if you've been neglecting your combos, um, you're kind of screwed. Um, yeah. And they'll even, um, I mean, they will give you points based on how well you do on the combo. And you have to get up to 10 points. And your points will go back down to zero if you can't do this consecutively on multiple rounds. Get good, scrub. Yeah, and you ha they have to be unique combos, so you can't do the same one twice. Good. However, as I have discovered, Dream Super Combo counts. Hmm. But you only have one shot to get, I mean, to get between two and five points with this thing, depending on how well you do on that combo, and it's not guaranteed. Yeah. So. Oh, start off with that, basically. <laughs> no, no, no. Save that one for the home stretch. Try, try to get up to seven or eight, seven or eight points with regular combos, and then pull that thing out and seal the deal. Because that one's a guaranteed two to five points. Mm. So. So yeah, Saga Frontier sagaing all over. <laughs> and I mean, the Magma Slime battle before that wasn't nearly as bad. Once I realized a few things. Mm -hmm. um, for that one, you you have you have to keep facing five magma slimes over a course of battles because they, there's like actually 25 to 30 of the things they just keep replenishing until they run out, mm -hmm. and they do LP damage, and Riki's got the lowest LP of any of the starters characters. Of course, of course, um, but they're fairly easy to take out if you have characters with a lot of um, hit all abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just that the battle resets every, or the uh, round resets every time that more come in. So um, what I ended up doing was I ended up using Thieves Ring with Riki, which puts everyone into hide mode. Nobody uh, can, enemies can't see them. And then I just had two characters spamming um, hit all sword attacks for as long as possible until they drop dead of LP drain. And that got me through about 20 to 25. 20 to 25 of the magma slimes, and then I just brought up the other two characters with their hit at all attacks, and it was all good. <laughs> so. Yeah, so Saga Frontier. Yeah, and after that, um, after I just kind of got fed up with Ringlord for a bit, um, so for Father's Day, I, uh, Found out about a certain deal on the store, mm -hmm. but of course I had to buy a three thousand yen 
uh, Nintendo card to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. And I already had 300 yen left over on my account, so I, that was uh, one 2200 yen game and about 1100 yen extra, so I just bought a bunch of other random stuff on cheap. And one of those was this little action-adventure game called Nevea, which has some very interesting light mechanics. Lighting mechanics. Yeah. So um, I'm about halfway through that just from playing it yesterday. It's not a long game. Yeah, a lot of indie games are like that. Yeah. But the game that I was actually going for, which was 50% off, and it's going to be my mm -hmm. JRPG July game, is Grandia Collection. Oh, yeah. It's like 2200 yen, literally half off for Father's Day. You know, for all the, for all those famous dads in Grandia. I was going to say there aren't any. Yeah, that's the that's joke. Yeah, should have been from Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah. Cool moms in Grandia. Yeah. Not yeah. in two, but... Yeah, definitely in one. I'm, I'm happy that they actually made her playable in Parallel Trippers. Yeah, now they need to remake that. Just do it. I don't even care. <laughs> do something better with the battle system, because um, Parallel Trippers had this weirdly... Um, was abstracted version of the actual Grandia combat. Yeah, I messed around with it once, and it's a very odd game. As shown only by the um, action order bar. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, confusing, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Yep. <sighs> but yeah, maybe, maybe someday we'll, we'll get that. Maybe. Probably not, actually. I don't think that game will ever be acknowledged again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Glad that, uh, glad that you'll be replaying Grandia. That's that's a great game. Always. Forever. Yeah. I'll probably be doing Grandia, too, since I've not actually played that one before. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good game, too. Yeah, which was, I mean, that was the main point of getting it. Hmm. So it's like, um, I mean, I'm putting off getting uh, Legend of Mana just because I played the heck out of that one back in the day. Yeah, I'm waiting for probably another game or so. Um, unlike Saga Frontier, which I was never able to complete more than one, maybe two of the scenarios because of disc read errors. Oh, lost me. No, I told you about that. I got my copy out of the pawn shop and it was scratched up to hell and back. Yeah, like yeah. A, there was a 50-50 chance of Amelia crashing on the first boss. Oh boy. Yeah. But mainly on the first boss, which is why Amelia ended up being the one I actually finished first. So, I find all the others less opportune po points later in the story. <laughs> like you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had any chance to really start an Ungrammy too? Oh, no, I haven't yet. I mean, it's only just now the first over here. Oh. Uh, Ow. Sorry, I'm, I'm still uh, occasionally messing around in a game, so... But I'll set that down. Um... Let's see. Uh, so that, uh, that's it for what you've been up to? In terms of playing? Gotcha. Yep. Yep. Oh, and I've also got an indie game called Live by the Sword. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's just a, to it's die by the sword. demo. Yeah, it's it's really just a tech demo here so far. 
but I'm trying mm. to get through it, um, through all the options uh, listed and finish up an impression. So. Other than that, yeah, that's that's everything for me. It's a nice long list this time. Nice. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about what you've been. First, I should just point out that uh, Pew and Hollywood in the chat are not satisfied with me playing these two games at once and are challenging me to play Overwatch and Apex Legends at the same time. No. <laughs> you don't, you they? <laughs> and yes, in any case. I'm actually thinking about how that would be possible. <laughs> don't. Um, you, you need, like, three, like, two more bodies in a <laughs> Nero net hookup. Um, I think I think the um, the there was a book, the Forever War and its sequel, Forever Peace, where that was actually technology available. I would suggest that uh, try not to do it for more than twelve hours, or there may be noticeable side effects, um, not necessarily negative ones, but they would probably end up calling you for them. Uh, so be careful. Uh, yeah, so aside from that stupid thought, what are you doing, like... Sorry, not not yours, Gaijin, but uh, the stupid thought Bears. of playing... Yeah. Playing multiple first-person shooters online competitively uh, yeah. at once? Yes. Uh, yeah, been, aside from that stupid thought. I've been playing uh, Disgaea 6. I forget uh, what the subtitle is. Uh, hold on, I have the box. Here, let's see. <laughs> Uh, Defiance of Death. That's an interesting subtitle. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Pretty generic. Uh, uh, which I was insanely apprehensive about because five sucked. Thankfully, I was going to say we had a nice long discussion of the demo was kind of a letdown for me, so I'm ha I'm hoping that the game is better than the demo suggested. Well, I mean, it's. I, I enjoyed the demo portion, so not sure. We have very different tastes. Uh, possibly, <laughs> yes. Uh, but also, I don't know if you played 5 at all, so... Nope. Maybe I'm just excited that it's not 5. Well, there is I a mean, nice round of one here. Yeah. I shall be the final arbiter. Um... So yeah, you're denying that? So far, so good. I, the story's fun. Uh, guy over here. The maps seem fun so far. Um, and also, I was informed uh, by someone on Twitter that it is not as long as 5. So that's, that's always a plus. Like they said, it was... They've, Locked in around 39 hours, which is about what I did for uh, three and four, which are good. So, like you did. Um, it's looking good. We'll see how it goes from here. But I mean, I've been enjoying the battle system. Uh, the art style is pretty nice. Just been having fun with it. The only complaint I have is they've ups. All, all the numbers in the same amount for no particular reason is kind of annoying. They think it's funny. They're wrong. Like instead of gaining a few <laughs> levels at once, you gain dozens of levels at once. And, yeah. 
So yeah, maybe maybe dial back on that for this guy. So. Yeah. Um, anything else you've been playing? Uh, I mean that's about that's about it for RPGs. I've been trying to Relevant. finish up Monster Hunter Stories One uh, before Two comes out, and started playing the demo of that, which is gorgeous. Um, yeah, trying trying to clear the deck of some things before. Um, yeah. Uh, guess that leaves me. Yep. Uh, in terms of things that are relevant, I got to the Mega Man game. That's just a reskinned Breath of Fire game. Well, that sounds. That's weird. Uh, command mission. Yeah, Mega Man X Command Mission. The, I mean, depends which Breath of Fire game is it emulating. Uh, not Dragon Quarter. <laughs> That's hilarious. I asked the exact what? same question. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually I enjoyed the first Breath of Fire for what it was, and Breath of Fire Two was interesting to say the least. I never played okay, three you're and four. Out, okay, you're Okay, sounds fine to me. Hmm. Hello? Yeah. Maybe Dave is cutting out. Okay, maybe I'm back. You're back. Maybe. Okay. Are any maybe. of us really here, though? I think I am. Metaphorically? Does I'm anybody here. know really know what time it is? Uh, depends uh, on your time zone. Yeah. But who care? Does anybody really care? Not terribly. Um, I was going to say... Time. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I'd say it's like a, a Mega Man skin Breath of Fire in the sense that it's mostly a, oh my god, the, I need the power to kill spam bots. Where do we get spam bots? But I do not have, in the RP game chat. Hold on, I'll see if I can take care of it. They want to know if you want to buy followers. No, um. Clicking on the, the Twitch uh, app is taking a while to load. Because I'm murdering my computer. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, but yeah, like I, I when I say, it, uh, I do. Oh well. Uh, hopefully, one of our mods will come along in that chat. Yeah, like I, when I say it, it's a. When I say that it's a Breath of Fire game. Uh, with a Mega Man skin. I refer mostly to the fact that it is a uh, game with relatively like completely fine uh, technical merits that is otherwise kind of just doesn't have much going on. It apparently shares like a fair number of developers with Breath of Fire's foreign Dragon Quarter. But it's markedly less mechanically ambitious than Dragon Quarter. Um, the the game is very like built in the zeitgeist of PS2 RPGs, which means the battle system is like a weird variant of FF10's battle system, <laughs> and that's mildly interesting. But like overall, it's just the biggest issue with the game is just that it's not that interesting. <laughs> uh, 
Like, there's nothing that you would look at it and say, like, this, you shouldn't have done this. This is bad. It's more just like, you should have done more than this because there's just not much here. Mm. Like, uh, well, I guess the biggest criticism I'd give thus far uh, is that, uh, that, like, the dungeon layouts are too complex for how few landmarks they have. So, like, there will be these, like, really obnoxious mazes going on in some of them, but there's not actually, like, a way to tell where to orient yourself in them, because the minimap's not very good, and I can't seem to find a real map, so... Uh, I just get lost a lot. Like, that's not interesting or fun. Um... And just, just like, you know, it, it's very much something that feels like it was made by people who were not super passionate about a lot of the things that they were doing. Like, one of the things that sticks out to me is that, uh, like, it has a bunch of, like, new characters uh, that, like, they all fulfill certain, like, character archetypes. But, like, the, the writing is very much, like, assumes that the player already knows the archetypes, which is correct, because, I mean, they're very generic. But it does that thing where it's like, well, because you already know the archetypes, we're just going to skip characterizing them in any real fashion. Ooh, tropism. Yeah, like, there's a bit uh, in, like, Chapter 4 where you get two characters at once, and... Uh, one of them is like this, is the young girl archetype who's like being protected by her like protective dad figure. Who's like, no, don't, you can't make my little girl go and fight like that shit. And she's like, no, I need to help my friends. The thing is, when she says that, she has literally never spoken to anyone, to anyone except one person in the party. And she only met that person like 20 minutes before. Like, you don't skip all the way to the end of that it just it doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't work but yeah like it's it's like it's very technically competent the battle system's mildly interesting it makes some mildly interesting use of platformer mega man mechanics to fill out like the rpg section but overall the game just is lacking that uh je ne sais quoi that would make it come together as a full experience uh, not uh, not altogether the most amazing game, uh, but I mean, pretty solid art direction, uh, pretty decent soundtrack. I mean, if you just want to play something that is like the essence of a generic PS2 RPG, that's uh, that's kind of what you're getting. So yeah. what you're saying is that my my uh, old concept of a Mega Man X time travel back to fight Dr. Wily RPG from 20 years ago is probably a better experience than this. Probably. It would have at least been more interesting. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say that I think that it's incredibly funny that there's a, a twist that I spotted the second that a character was named. Uh, <laughs> that it still hasn't fired, but I'm just going to bring it up anyway because it's the most obvious thing in the world. Uh, and that is that one of your characters is named Spider. 
And there is a character running around earlier who's named Reddit. Literally just spider spelled backwards. Huh. I think they might be the same person. <laughs> huh. And so... I went looking for what they were named in Japanese, and from what I can tell, assuming that, like, these fan wikis are accurate, in Japanese, they were named... Uh, they were named as though they had uh, taken the English names and then transliterated them into Japanese so it was less obvious what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So, like, they took the name uh, Redips and transliterated it as Redips. And they took Spider, but they just turned that into Spider. So it's less obvious that their names are just inversions of each other. Because in Japanese, they aren't. But, yeah. Spider and Redeeps. Re it's Redeeps. Yeah, that's completely different. Yeah, katakana. like that's a super different katakana than Spider. And like, it's unclear to me. Like, this is just what I found. Like, looking at fan sites, essentially, like describing what these characters are called in other languages. So, like, they might be lying, but if if it's true that quote-unquote twist is a lot less obvious in Japanese. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's been fun. Uh, and by fun, I mean, well, it's been fun comparative to what I was playing earlier, because I was finishing out Mega Man X7 before mission. that game's horrendous. Uh, but yeah. I just had my, Otherwise, I just had my spell countered by white spell. I don't know what that means. So. Counter magic is generally exclusive to blue. Ah, uh, do you feel betrayed? Feel okay, you got, you got tricked because you found one of the few ex exceptions to what you thought was a normal rule. Yes. I mean, way back in the day, they thought card draw would be exclusive to blue, so... Some things change. That's, that's still incredible to me. Oh, everything I'll have something to get some three of that's based on what their, uh... primary mechanic is. What's blue? Card draw? Draw three cards. Uh, mm, seems out of balance. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, I've also played a bit more Shin Megami Tensei. Oops, that's still Nocturne. <laughs> it remains Nocturne. Uh, that's about it for what I've been playing. I did want to, before we hit any questions, I wanted to hit some news that's been mm -hmm. kind of interesting to me and I think would be interesting to other people on the podcast, uh, podcast demographic. Mm -hmm. uh, for one, uh, let's talk about the one that's slightly less sad. Um, still sad, but in a way that's at least mildly amusing to watch play out, which is uh, a bunch of... Uh, 
indie devs on Twitter today decided to talk about uh, the relative uh, ease of which it is to work with various uh, platform holders. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. And? Uh, hello? Yes, and? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I just wasn't sure what you meant by oh, boy, we yes. Oh. I'm just thinking of that that uh, pie chart I showed you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a great uh, pie chart one of them posted that just at the top it says totally hypothetical not real revenue breakdown and like a third of the chart is given over to like uh, something labeled proficient sergeant which is suspiciously in green uh, a like chunk a little over half is given over to plumber without a rent. Uh, a sliver of maybe 5% given over to Nolan North, and a sliver a little over 5% given to Gabe. For those, uh, less versed in how to decode those, say what? Gabe, pin the arcade? No, no, Gabe from Valve. Yeah. I have no idea. Gabe Newell from Valve. That's Steam. Steam. Yeah. Yeah, so the for those curious, Proficient Sergeant here means Master Chief, aka Microsoft. Plumber without a branch means uh, Mario, aka Nintendo. Nolan North means uh, Uncharted Nathan Drake, aka uh, Sony. Like, apparently, indie games just don't do well on PlayStation in general. Hmm. Uh. The answers were wide and varied. Uh, it's apparently very hard to get Sony to feature them. Uh, it's very, uh, They apparently don't give, like, data very quickly. Like, it takes months to get data out of them on, in terms of, like, uh, sales and such. It's, like, it's, it's one of those things where it's just, like, it's really weird that the current market leader is like this. And it kind of sucks, and I hope that, like, some negative attention being drawn to it, uh, just from this little dust-up, causes some, uh, causes some pushback, at least. But, we'll see. Um, but yeah, that, that was the funny bit. Uh, some of the, like, a lot of them were, like, this was a big Twitter thread that a lot of indie devs were in, and a lot of them were being very oblique about it, and then one guy just wanders in and says, yeah, PlayStation sucks for indie devs. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone else is just being, like, very coy about it, like, not not impossible to decode by any means, but they're not naming names, and then someone's just like, yeah, no, PlayStation sucks to work with if you're an indie dev. <laughs> Which, I mean, really is just, like, bearing out what has been obvious from how each company has approached indie devs over the past generation, where, like, Nintendo and Microsoft have both given them a lot of pride of place and, like, a lot of... A, like, there is a continuous space at Nintendo and Microsoft, like, press presentations where they talk up, like, these are the these are some big new indie games that are coming to our platform. And those, that just doesn't happen with Sony. Like, occasionally they will highlight an indie game, but they won't, like do major promotion of indie games in general. 
-hmm. And like that kind of represents a difference of how they kind of are tackling these. Yeah. So I, I kind of missed, um, how did, what did they think of Nintendo again? Uh, Nintendo had like this this revenue split uh, mm -hmm. puts Nintendo at more than half of this indie studio's revenue in terms of actual sales. So, it yeah, like sounds about right. The the, yep. the Switch ecosystem is more indie friendly. I feel like PlayStation has generally like the the people working at the PlayStation division have generally like conditioned their consumers to care about AAA games and kind of not much else. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. So that's that's been fascinating. Um, the... Uh, what's the other thing? Um, oh, the, the much sadder thing was uh, the passing of a uh, pioneer in terms of uh, really accurate emulation. Uh, for the Super Nintendo, uh, their last online handle was near, and they. Uh, oh, I uh, heard yeah, that. yeah, they they uh, committed suicide this past week. It's really awful. Yeah, there there was a lot of like uh, harassment directed at them. Uh, yeah, it's it's awful. I think, uh, I think this actually came up in the staff. Um, commentary was like somebody was asking uh, what this one group was, and of course, pause. Oh, maybe they yeah. were. Just like... Yeah, they're yeah. they're bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you are interested in learning more a bit about like uh, more than certainly I can describe uh, <laughs> the. Uh, more certainly more than I can describe about like the concepts of what of what near sort of helped pioneer in terms of these uh, uh, in terms of uh, Super Famicom emulation. Uh, then I believe Kotaku had an article that sort of did like a dive into it. But basically, uh, for a very long time, you had like uh, ZSNES and then SNES 9X as kind of the default. Uh, Super Famicom emulators, and for a lot of games, those are fun uh, because you know, like the 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 emulators are sort of tuned to work with them, and if you're like the the games will work fine, but like for really like accurate emulation, you ended up needing to use Nier's. Uh, variously, it was renamed Hegan and Beastnets, and it was like trying to go for like cycle accuracy which is very important for very specific games uh very important in an archival sense because it's like you know eventually super nintendo stopped working and you kind of need access to something that will reproduce the behavior of a super nintendo and like that's the the need for that uh comes up in very strange games like tengai makio zero it's like one of a kind custom chip like, you suddenly need it to work exactly right, uh, or it just doesn't work right at all. Yeah. Uh, I believe that Nier was also involved... Yeah, I remember 20 years ago... Okay. I remember emulation 20 years ago, and there was, like, a long list of games that were, like, we wish we could emulate these correctly, but we're still working on it, but they all have completely different chipsets. Yeah, there's another one that's really good, uh... 
but like one of the most indicative thing about the state of Super Nintendo emulation way back in the day is uh, go go looking up old game FAQs guides uh, for Final Fantasy V and see which ones tell you about which button in ZSNES will disable layers so that you can actually get through the ship graveyard because it's not emulating properly and you can't see through the transparent layer. Uh, but uh, near as I recall, was also involved in... Uh, yeah, uh, was involved in a recent retranslation effort of uh, Bahamut Lagoon. Mm. Uh, Hope that's uh, better than the original translation. Yeah, it, it, just, it just came out literally in February. So, uh, yeah, brand new script translation, native English speaker, Japanese fluency, far beyond the, uh, I believe they're referring to the original when they say far beyond, uh, the capacity of the original translation when they say that it's far beyond the JLPT N1. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's the, yeah, if you're interested in maybe creating uh, their memory, maybe give that uh, Bahamut Lagoon retranslation shop. That'll probably be the version I end up playing. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's 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 tragic. Uh, you know, it's, it's always tragic when you know a life is lost, but also you know someone who really did a lot to advance a very specific, underappreciated aspect of. Video games as a medium is gone, and that's that's terrible. So I wanted to bring that up just to mark, just to mark it. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Um, let's see, uh, there was actually a question on episode 214 we might want to hit up. Sure. Sure. Uh, good old crawl. Uh, this one uh, is going to be fun. Uh, the first part will be uh, well, we'll just read it off. Uh, recently started messing around with the outer world and I'm pretty excited about the sequel. Part of me would quite like it for another 20 to 30 hour double A game suffer this classic AAA bloat now that Microsoft is bankrolling. Kind of feel Starfield will have that niche covered. I get you, but at the same time I would like a uh, big open world game with good writing. Oh. So, big open world game with good writing. I, I would like a million yeah. dollars used to Fort Knox. Thank you. I'm just saying, like, Bethesda is like the, the low watermark for writing for me in open world games at this stage. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I could Why see it being smaller. They took an arrow to the knee. Oh, don't. Someone don't. had to make that Wheels? They didn't. Wheels, it's been literally 10 years. <laughs> yeah. So sit with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> that game will be 10 years old in November. And that meme came out right when that game happened. <laughs> but here's the actual question. 
Can you think of any examples where too much budget and scope have ended up ruining a game? Points for going beyond Cyberpunk. Uh, yeah, I, I can think. Of, uh, Cyberpunk wouldn't have even been my top ten for like overscoped and overbudgeted. Uh, like the there's the really fun classic examples like Jurassic Park Trespasser. Anyone want to hear about Jurassic Park Trespasser? Does anyone no. remember that that game happened? No. Say what? <laughs> Jurassic Park Trespasser? What the hell is that? Yeah, Jurassic Park Trespasser was a first-person shooter in the late 90s. Uh, get who was actually developing it. Was it DreamWorks Interactive? It might have been. Uh, it was like a big uh, tie-in that was going to be like a uh, tie-in to the Lost World Jurassic Park. Uh... Which really tells you how long ago this was. But Trespasser was a... Like, really ambitious, like, physics-based first-person shooter that was trying to have, like, no HUD at all. And, like, all of these, like, really cutting-edge design ideas that didn't work at all in practice. And uh, I'll just go over some greatest hits of how they did Uh, For one thing... Uh, all of you could only store like weapons on your person. So like you could only have the weapon in your hand and one weapon on your person, and that was a problem because it meant that uh, because of the way the physics system worked. Work because the original way that the physics system was supposed to work was that the amount of damage that a weapon did when you swung it was built based around the mass assigned to it, and that meant that because of the way the physics system worked, the object that you had that you weren't holding in your hand was attached to your hip and sort of moved around. It jostled against your model as you moved. And that meant that as you walked around, the weapon attached to your hip would slam into you and eventually kill you. Huh. That's bad. Uh, they had all sorts of, like, wild ideas like that. There was, uh, the gun... It was... Ostensibly, it was officially a first-person shooter. The guns in it had no crosshair and no sight. You were supposed to manipulate your character's arm back and forth and up and down to aim down the sights on the gun itself. It was incredibly unwieldy, so they ultimately had to set it up so that every time you picked up a gun, it just automatically set you up to aim down the sights, because, like, actually moving your arm was incredibly, like, complicated and weird. Uh, the dinosaurs themselves were supposed to have uh, behaviors that, like, they had emotions that governed their behavior. So, like, they could have, like, hunger or fear, or anger, like, all these things that would cause them to act in different ways. And late in development, when they were implementing that, they came to the conclusion that it just it caused the dinosaurs to just kind of never do anything. Because, like, their various, like, emotions would were not stable enough to cause them to pick one task and stick to it. And so late in development, they just had to set all of them to maximum rage all the time so that they would actually act like enemies in video games. <laughs> the game is just full of this. They had to cut an entire level because the physics system... It was built around physics puzzles, and the physics system wasn't reliable enough to do the level consistently. Uh, kind of a metaphor for the whole game is is found fairly early on where you will find a... Like, they're trying to show that, like, weapons can affect physics objects. So there's, like, a chair that you can shoot early on. 
uh, and it like breaks apart when you shoot it, and like that that's cool. And but if you just walk into the chair, you'll find that it breaks apart because it's actually all of the pieces of a chair stacked on top of each other, such as to make it look like a functional chair. And that's kind of the entire game. Like the game is a bunch of broken pieces that don't fit together, stacked on top of each other to look like. Great. So yeah, that, that, it's a fascinating failure, uh, way too overscoped. But I mean, like a lot of the games that come out and end up really disappointing, especially in the AAA space, the answer was almost never that they were insufficiently ambitious. It was almost always that they were that they were trying for way too much and it just didn't work. Like even if you look at something like Anthem, like another like punching bag du jour, that game clearly was like years and years of people having arguments about what that game should be and having to come together to make something because it had to shit. Uh it's never a good sign in game development. Yeah. Or, like, you get to the, the perennial ancient punchline of Duke Nukem for, like, oh, no. that game did not come about from a lack of budget or ambition. The problem, like, go if you go back and look at, like, post-mortems of when 3D Realms shut down that first time, uh, and the game was cancelled initially, before it got picked up by Gearbox and shat onto store shelves, uh... That game, uh, apparently the big issue they kept running into was the director, producer, I forget what his exact position is, but he was the guy who was making decisions, George Broussard. He kept, like, every time he would see something in another game, he would be like, no, Duke Nukem, the next Duke Nukem has to top this. We can't just release Duke Nukem forever when it doesn't have X, Y, and Z feature. There were... The, the, it reached a point where the staff would joke that they had to stop George Broussard from playing whatever the big new game was because he would demand some feature from it in Duke Nukem Forever. Like, that, like, uh, that's kind of the, the opposite, like, of the thing that I occasionally bring up about, like, game direction is, like, being able... A good game director is someone who can decide when enough is enough. And, like... When you get someone who can't make that call, you get uh, you get bad things. Uh, you get games that just don't end up coming out, uh, or they come out and they're like a shadow of what they what you expect them to be. I mean, like you get the old like Peter Molyneux things where it's like he'll like Molyneux was more just. Uh, talking like there's also a reason why like companies don't talk about their plans long before the game comes out because like getting <laughs> yeah because it's like one of those things like you show it and then people get upset when that has to get cut because it's like it's not feasible or x y and z uh yes but to even look at like a big... or some of the final fantasy whatever 10 whatever's so uh, some of the 13s. Uh, that got, uh, got announced so far in advance that it ended up changing numbering and genre at some point. Uh, that's so, Versus 13, although that's a little different because Versus 13 uh, essentially never got, never went into production. Yeah. 
It's one of those things like Versus 13 essentially it did pre-production and it had a promotional trailer. And then its entire team was poached to make F13. Uh, but yeah, like that's just kind of the the ongoing uh, tragedy of the of these kinds of things. Like these these really impressive failures uh, don't come from uh, a lack of ambition, because the unambitious games are typically not that. Not worth mentioning and not that interesting. Uh, it's it's these like real swing for the fences and oh we shouldn't have done this that end up being interesting things. And you know this the list of games that are like this is miles long and dates back a century. You know like the the scale of failure has only gotten worse over time because it's like if you made an overambitious game back in like the late 90s that meant oh my god I spent two years working on this and it's bad uh, in uh, modern terms it's more like oh my god I spent seven years working on this and it's worthless uh, and then of course like the, the other thing about this is that there's like a curve on it like because uh, there are some games that like they will. They might release disappointing. They will never release bad, because the company will just keep delaying them, and like pushing them back until they become at least acceptable. So like, you look at something with like a no like an obviously troubled development, like Halo Infinite. Like that'll probably be a good game anyway, because Microsoft, if they if it wasn't ready to launch, Microsoft would just push it back further because it would be too damaging to their brand to release a bad Halo. Whereas you get to something like, you know, you, you know, it, or like to look at it another way, uh, another one that like, it was, it was big, you know, a couple of years ago, Red Dead Redemption 2. That game uh, was at some stage of development for nearly 10 years. And, yeah, like, a truly, like, the second that Red Dead Redemption 1 had, probably before Red Dead Redemption 1 had wrapped, they were in pre-production. But, like, certainly they entered production on Red Dead Redemption 2 sometime around when Red Dead Redemption 1 came out in, like, 2010. And Red Dead Redemption 2 came out in 2019. And... By by all accounts, it was, you know, like, that was nine years of development. Uh, people really liked it overall. I thought it was kind of trash, but, like, you know, that's neither here nor there. It was not a... It was not a game where you could tell as much that it had gone through a hell, a hell development, even though, like, it obviously had. Because Rockstar is the kind of company that has the luxury of so much money that if the game just isn't turning out, well, they just keep it under wraps a few more years and force them to keep working on it until it dies, until it is presentable. And that, you know, certain companies get that luxury and certain ones don't. Uh, uh, like, if if Square didn't have... If Final Fantasy thirteen hadn't been as important as it was, then God only knows what would have turned out of that project. Like... 
you can have your ups and downs about FF13. Certainly, like, I have mixed feelings on the final game, but, like, it is a, a very accomplished game that, like, at least fits together in such a fashion that it doesn't feel like it was completely tossed together at the last minute, even though it almost kind of was. Uh, like, because, like, that game's entire, like, gameplay structure was not devised until they were told that they had to have a demo uh, playable with the Advent Children Complete Blu-ray. But, you know, I that, remember hearing more stories about the translation of that game. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, that, that was... Because they were translating it in tandem with writing it. Yeah, and the writing kept changing, which means the translation had to keep changing. It's... Yeah. Yeah, fun times. They did not have their ducks in a row on that one. Um, but yeah, like it, it's just the, the time and again we have the. Say what? Uh, if they did, then the ducks were all flying south for the winter. Oh yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, but yeah, like uh, you know, like a lot of these are are not what I would call ruining a game, but I mean like they're. They certainly ruined a lot of people's lives while they happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, v video games are video games are a rough. Career. Um, but yeah, uh, over ambition is uh is the killer for a lot of things. Uh, and having way too much money is certainly something a lot of companies have been guilty of over time. Uh, does anyone else have any of these that spring to mind? Um, not exactly. Just, um, hmm. I mean, just because I don't have a lot of experience with a lot of the really high, the val uh, not high value, the high production value games. Yeah. So, I can think yeah. of some, like, indie games that were, like, okay, but, um, yeah, that's a different story altogether. Yeah, that's that's they're they're always like trying to thread a needle, and that's really hard. Uh, oh, I thought of another obvious cricket uh, here: Fallout seventy six. <laughs> like that is a game that suffered from no shortage of ambition and money. I mean, like Zenimax had plenty of cash to throw at it, and the concept of like a multiplayer. Uh, like, multiplayer Fallout is certainly an ambitious one, but, like, I think I mentioned this a few times when we've discussed it before, it just, it's a game that it doesn't feel like they thought of anything past the idea of multiplayer Fallout. Like, they didn't actually come up with, like, a gameplay loop for it or how it was actually supposed to play. So, nah. Too much money thrown at an idea that obviously wasn't, doesn't feel like it had enough time in pre-production. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe the, this was the simplified version of a more ambitious idea that just didn't work. We'll never know. In exchange for uh, eternal servitude. Yeah. Uh, 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 I mean, a lot, of, a lot of games end up kind of bad because there's too much money behind them, and that means they have to be certain kinds of games, like uh, the, the Square Enix Avengers game. A too much money, too big to fail, but it needs to make all that money back. What's the what's the genre that Square doesn't have a game in that uh, 
that they would absolutely uh, see uh, big dollar signs over. Well, it's uh, here's a big cooperative like loot game that uh, has continual development updates. Keep players playing. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know how that's going. I don't know who plays that game. This stage. Does anyone? Hard to say. Hmm. We'll see with now. Which game are we talking about again? Uh, Square Enix's Avengers game. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, well, if you don't know who's playing it, then I don't think anyone knows who's playing it. Anyone here, I mean. Uh, mm. But yeah, uh, I'm sure that there were all sorts of, like, really ambitious ideas uh, thrown around for that game, and that ultimately they vowed to, they had too much money. There was too much budget to do a risky idea. Or, it, like, like, it was too valuable a deal to do anything experimental. It had to be something big, proven, and guaranteed to generate revenue that sold even remotely. I don't know. That's a different kind of having too much budget. For but, I mean, certainly no less, uh, you certainly no more appealing, uh, multiplayer content just because of that, uh, extra budget, so. I'd say it counts. Do we have anything in the podcast section of the Discord? Let's see. Um, possibly? Uh, there was a... Oh, Berserk Alucard uh, was asking about the Magic the Gathering list. Letting me... Oh, the reserve... Oh, that's right, the reserve list. Yeah, uh, I think I think I mentioned that a few things had managed to be taken off of it at one point, and then like people got really pissed, and they promised never to do that again. But no, there are definitely things that will always be on the reserve list because the yeah, Alex. Yeah, like uh, Power Nine. Yeah, I mean, even if they were allowed to reprint those, they. <laughs> You know what people need? A, a reprinted version of uh, Black Lotus. Just make that legal for one point. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, that'll go well. They love it. What's, they made a commander with Black Lotus? So, okay, what are we talking about here? This is a Magic the Gathering thing. Uh, if you want more Black Lotus Black details, Lotus. I guess ask me. Uh, never mind, I think I've read about Black Lotus. Isn't that the one where you could abuse it to create like an infinite loop of action or something like that? Oh, there's many different ways to abuse it. Yeah, because it just mad adds three mana to your mana pool. pool yeah. Which is just kind of speeds up the game way more than they wanted it to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was remembering. Yeah. But yeah, uh, uh, they make like a parody version of Black Lotus eventually. Blacker Lotus. Yeah. It does the same thing except you're supposed to rip up the card. Yeah, because it's from one of the parody sets. Yeah, it's either unhinged or unglued. Yeah. 
What else was in the Power Nine? Like all of them are things that are like obviously the uh, result of a company warp. that doesn't. Oh God, no! Take an extra turn. I I can't even imagine how that sounded good in someone's head. A lot of these are just like people not realizing how powerful certain things are going to be. But like, take an extra turn. Like that's a wildly like that's obviously wildly strong. Moxes. Looking at it, all the moxes, That's which are just more. weaker black lotuses, That's seven. ancestral recall, and time twister. Uh, oh wow, time twister is a wild reset card. Each player shuffles their hand in graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards. Oh dear. That does not sound good at all. <laughs> it's a little excessive. Uh, especially for... Here? No, that's all nine. Okay. Ancestral Recall, Black Lotus, All the Moxes, Time Twister, and Time Walk. Yeah, uh, it also it allowed you to recycle things like other Power 9 cards. And uh, generally, since you're drawing seven cards with no restriction, uh, you could make it be essentially like one of the last cards in your hand. Get a lot of, get a lot of hand advantage if your opponent hadn't had the chance to use a bunch of cards. Yep. Uh, of course, you know, anyone who's actually looking at these cards will notice that you take the artifacts out of consideration, all the other cards share the same color. Yeah, they're all blue. And that hmm. problem has considered continued for the history of Benchik. <laughs> Is blue just consistently the strongest deck? Um, not necessarily hmm. mono blue, but just blue always seems to Like, be blue problem. gets all these sorts of, like, really things that end up being yes. good mixed into other things. Yes. <laughs> Uh, of late, actually, blue-green has been the power deck. <laughs> but yeah, blue always seems to be the issue. The problem, child. Yes. Somebody but, yeah. on the design team likes blue. Uh, wouldn't even surprise me that much. I mean, design teams tend to favor their favorite playstyles. See also whoever made D and D three and wizards. Wizard. Uh, or spellcasters in general, I should say. It was hardly yeah. limited to wizards in the third edition D and D. Yep. Let's see. Um. Yeah, I think that hits stuff that we have for new questions. Pulling up uh, Fireminer's big lists. Um, here's one that we haven't done. Uh, your favorite puzzle-centric arc. Puzzle centric is in puzzles for dungeons or puzzles for combat. 
Uh, since the question's ambiguous, I would say take whichever you prefer. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Lufia 2's the obvious first choice here. Yeah, that one's got, like, the, the dungeons are the highlight in a lot of ways of that game. So. Yep. I think they never really managed to match that with Lufia. <laughs> yep. Um... Some of the Wild Arms games got pretty interesting with their um, tool interactions. Yeah, they're kind of doing similar things to what Lucas is doing, actually. Yeah. Uh, that does remind me of, like, I was... It, it threw me a lot as a child. One of the first uh, puzzles in Wild Arms 2 is... Uh, you Like, you've been hitting all of these uh, switches with a throwing knife. And then there's one that requires you to uh, make use of the fact that when the knife hits a wall, it actually it bonks against a wall and then points downward and hits things below it. So there's like a puzzle that requires you to hit a switch by hitting the wall above it and letting the knife drop onto the switch. I, think Which, uh, I remember that one. Yeah. That was a clever little thing. Like I, I always appreciated that. Um, and I don't want to throw in action RPGs because when we get into things like uh, Zelda and Lundra uh, being edge case uh, included, and those are kind of defeats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Zelda and Alundra. Uh, Zelda is a series and Alundra won. A lot of, a lot of great puzzles in those. Uh, hey, Wheels, talk about Shining Wisdom. No. <laughs> Garbage. Yeah. Monstrously ugly, too. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, games on Saturn don't generally look great anyway, and it's a particularly gross one. I'm not even, yeah. like, I wouldn't even go that far, because, like, most Saturn games that are 2D look fine. That game's 2D and looks like but yeah yeah it's not good um but hey you know camelot their output wasn't always the best some of us remember a certain ps1 game or don't yeah yeah beyond the beyond is worse yeah you know Beyond the Beyond is like uh, getting punched in the head, so you know. Let's see. Um, oh, here's here's one that uh, sticks out to me. Uh, this is the puzzles in this aren't amazing, but I do appreciate it as being an player. Fun Fantasy Mystic. Yeah, this has little one puzzles and platforming. This to your of bad that one had an interesting mix of stuff. Yeah. But in, in general, be, having more options to interact with this space than running around it is generally a good way to get decent puzzles going on. And all the games that I think I've mentioned thus far are basically like that. Uh, and uh, same with Lufia. Like, you have ways to interact with the dungeon that are not just running around in it. Like, you actually have items that consistently do things to it. Whereas, like, if you have 
uh, only contextual actions to interact with the dungeon. It very much limits what you can do in terms of puzzles because, it's like, in some greater or lesser sense, you're essentially you've turned the puzzles. They all kind of have to be uh, switch flipping because that's essentially what interacting with the dungeon state inevitably must end up becoming at this stage. You got any wheels? I mean, like some of the best Disgaea games, a lot of the battles are very puzzly. Like, and those like that one in Disgaea One, that's just like the entire battlefield is invincible. Yes. Like that kind of thing. Like yes. they really got into in the later ones doing a lot of crazy things with like what the uh, geo panels would do the battlefield. Yeah. And especially three did a lot of weird things when they introduced like the geo blocks, because then you could essentially yeah. build a whole stage out of those blocks and move them around in weird ways. Uh, I I like to tell the story of this this one stage where like half the battlefield is uh, like if you end your turn on this block, you your character just dies. Uh, so you have to get creative about how, um, and you have to like go destroy the thing that creates that effect because it blocks off like half the stage. So you have to get creative about like, okay, which characters yeah. are essentially going to sacrifice to achieve this goal, uh, but you can also essentially trick like, some of the enemies to end their turns on those squares. And, uh, it, it just makes you... Oh, you might be able to throw some of them into a place where they couldn't actually run. Yeah. Actually, that's reminding me of like yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics Advance in the Law System, which was its own little puzzle. Oh yeah, you could do some wacky things with that. Yeah, one of my favorites was like, okay, I know that this battle features a wizard with a lot of fire spells. What's coming up here? Oh, fire ban. Okay, let's just let's just walk around a little bit and now we are here on this level on the stage and there is a no fire effect in bon effect haha -ha. get him sent to jail oh, I, I did cool. it with battles full cool of bombs that he was. Well. Yeah. yeah yeah I mean everything else I did like that game just because of the way you could really abuse the laws properly yeah not like, not, not like the sequel. Not like the sequel. Yeah. That one, the laws abused you. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Oh, Fire Miner left a lot uh, of questions on and the podcast. That's a... uh, yeah. oh. oh, never mind. I think we, we got some of these last week, didn't we? Yeah, these were, these were like each. E3 uh, questions and like CDI stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, because yeah, you did these before I got here, didn't I? Didn't you? I think this was also when they were E3 uh, questions. So uh, I've mostly just sort of saved the ones that you might actually have something to say about for that period. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about Ayudan Chronicle though. I want to think about Ayudan Chronicle some more. 
Oh, this was something that only you could reasonably have an idea of, which was uh, number 95. Uh, besides Pokemon on level 5 games, what do elementary uh, Japanese children play anyway? Oh, let's see. Um, well, pretty much anything that's put on the DS that doesn't have a C rating or above. Yeah, so, uh, that seemed like that was, that was the heyday. Yeah, so now it's anything that's on the Switch, pretty much. Ah. Uh, so anything child appropriate on Switch is bound to have, like, some sort of market. And, I mean, since the majority of stuff on a Nintendo platform is going to be child appropriate. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, when I first started in, in this city, I had a student who was a big fan of Zetai Onkan Otoda Master, which I eventually played years later. Mm. Um and you'll end up with lots of monster collecting games and lots of sports games and lots of Mario games. So basically about what you'd expect and like fairly comparable with uh, a lot of what was popular on the DS in America. Yep. Except not minus... Much, uh, oh, not yeah. as much uh, commercial tie-in shovelware, amazingly enough. Well, just I mean, different commercial I mean, tie-in shovelware. I mean, definitely some, but I mean, I, I look at like... So, I remember going to an American used game store and just like, okay, this is like five times more sh of the commercial tie-in stuff than I've. There's another SpongeBob game somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even at least in Japan, a lot of the commercial tie-in stuff is actually good. Or at least weird. <laughs> Preferably both. I mean. Yeah. I mean, the, the Sergeant Frog RPG was one of the best Tales games on the platform. <laughs> Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, it's fat and tails of hearts. Get out of here, Tempest yeah. and Innocence. Get out of here. No, I mean, honestly, it was better than hearts. <laughs> wow. I'll have to um, take your I mean, word for it. No, I mean, not, not necessarily on the combat. The combat was fairly similar, but Sergeant Frog had a, a different type of, uh, like, CP system involved. But, mm. I mean, just the plot was, I mean, the writing was it's funnier. Frog. <laughs> yeah. It's like who? Why do you, um, who do you think you are trying to take over the world when that's my job? God damn it! Yes. Uh, <laughs> that does sound like Sergeant Frog. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This. Uh, this is actually tying in with a question. Uh, going through a ton of Japanese commercials for handheld games, I cannot help but notice it's not just the games; but the advertisements have shifted from kid-friendly games to well, some manufacturers have stopped thinking handhelds is just for uh, children, there, haven't they? Well, I mean that it's. I mean, it's never been really rare to have CEROC rank games on DS. Because I mean, that's Shin Megami Tensei, some of the Metal Maxes, things like that. Yeah. Yes, um, that's a certain level of violence. Um, D and Z rated games are still incredibly rare on any Nintendo platform, even though they did start popping up in the 3DS period. Yeah, um, I think it was an Evil Revelations with Sarah Z, which would make sense. Yeah. Um, I think. The the earliest Sarah Z game I know of for Nintendo was actually DS. I think it was one of the Biohazard games. 
Oh yeah, there was like a DS port of Resident Evil 1 that might have gotten the Z. And uh, co like Code Miranda or something like that. I don't remember the name. It was, there was There's definitely- a Code Veronica, but that wasn't a DS game. Okay. Well, I have no idea what, was, what the title was. There were, and there was a Biohazard game I thought was original, maybe it wasn't, but that definitely had a C-R-O-Z-M-Z. Yeah, there was a, there was a Zero, there was pro, it was probably Zero, but it was part of Resident Evil 1 that had plenty of head explosions that would get to Zero z Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh... Yep. But, I mean, it wasn't until, like, the 3DS period you started seeing a, more d rank stuff. Yeah. Um, Magna was one uh, for, for... Oh, Magna. yeah. Um, and then there was Starfrost Amazons. The, uh... I'm still not quite sure how you managed to get a... Not white prison lesbian porn dungeon RPG onto the DS, 3DS. Mm, worked did. for the Vita. Well, quote unquote, yeah. worked. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and there was Toshi and Toshi, which again, amazingly, was originally a PC arrow game. Um, yeah. Of the of not just one of the of the uh, oh what's it um oh uh, well, the gory and fantasy subgenre. It was, it was like ridiculous. How in the world does this get on the 3DS? Um, do, you, do you know Gorian Fantasy? Uh, not off the top of my head. It's uh, it's it's a sub 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 genre that most of the fantasy industry prefers not to remember anymore. Mm, um, yeah. I think it's ringing some bells now. Yeah, the the uh, the primary. I mean, it's named for this one particular fantasy series that has 30 books, I think, at this point. At least the last 50% of them were direct to indie publication, and the rest have been delisted from regular publication and are now independently published. Mm -hmm. um, and the author, author has some ridiculously high-level degree in sociology or psychology or something. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, in, in the same sense that so did the creator of Wonder Woman. Um, and, ah, that, uh, that. I think I get where you're going. Of the risen to the level of trying to figure out what was met wrong with him. Um, Someone who's, yeah. like, spent their entire life trying to work out what's going on in their own head. Yeah. So the uh, the primary aspects of Gorian fantasy are, first of all, it's very much a sword and sorcery type fantasy. Second of all, that all the men are super strong manly men who take what they want. And that all women are uh, submissive and accept being taken. Yeah, that's about as uh, podcast-friendly a verbiage as you can come up with. Uh. Yes, and um, I'm, I've am never been able to find out if these books ever got actually translated into Japanese, but there was a certain strain of fantasy plot um, storytelling in the 90s in Japan that dovetails perfectly with this genre concept. Mm -hmm. Toshi is an exemplar of this particular um, subset of Japanese fantasy manga. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I forgot that the, the Maiden Abyss game is going to be Zero Z, which is not even slightly surprising. For something so cutesy and lovable looking, it is surprisingly violent and bloody. Yeah, it's no, it's upsetting in a number of levels, so it makes perfect sense if you've seen any of Maiden Abyss. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, um... Now what would surprise me is if they got like, um... Like inhuman reviewers. Oh no, no, no! Let's not. Let's not. We're not <laughs> going down that rabbit hole. I, I, I will. I will end that conversation just saying that the even the manga artist was almost in shock that they actually greenlit an anime version. And, and then everyone involved it. immediately tried to forget that they had right around the time they were, were selling it. Yes. Uh, and the, uh, yeah, it's like okay, okay, enough said there. Okay. Um, yeah. but yeah, those you are can find it if you need to see that. Those are the most notable examples I can think of from actual Japanese developers. A lot of the, um, I mean, like Outer Worlds was Zed rated. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of American um, open world games end up with a D or Z rating just for violence. Yeah, there's often a lot of head explosions, and a head explosion is kind of the immediate like you're getting a cell. Yeah. <laughs> That and glorification of crime. So the entire GTA series is Zed. Right? Yeah, just just <laughs> right from the start. Yeah. Um, I don't actually. I never bothered to look up why Outer Worlds had a Zed rating, but yeah, probably the head explosions. There's right. there's a lot of head explosions and glorification of crime. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That never on. That works. Um. Yeah. Um. And I think at this point, all the Biohazard games are Zed rating anyway. No yeah, I once, heard, I once heard the joke that it stands for zombies, so... Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at... I mean, there's usually, like, one shelf in any given area of a video game store that has that's dedicated to the high... Like, to the Z rating games. And yeah. you're never surprised to see which ones they are. Yeah. Like, you could see, like like you could see them from a mile off just because, like, oh, it's that kind of game. It's the same. It's generally the same three or four series for any given platform, plus a few other games that are like those three or four. Series. Yeah, they have a type. Yep. I mean, it's still interesting to see what the Japanese um, rating boards um, just respond to. Respond to. It's like, I mean, looking at the rating systems for Europe, where um, I mean, things that we get on. Regular TV in Europe would get an R rating or NC-17 even in America and vice versa. Yeah, it does remind me of like... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, was, I mean, it's just like, yeah, um, after not after like 8 or 9 in French TV, it's like, okay, topless? Okay, sure. Anything's fine. Everything's fine now. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see, past 10 o'clock, um, softcore porn movies? Okay, sure. Whatever. Uh, it's yeah, late. but um, whatever. random new American action movie with tons of explosions and exploding heads. Yeah, that one's getting high rating. Yeah. And what yeah. was its rating in America? PG-13. Wow. Okay. But yeah, the thing I was going to bring up was this does remind me of uh, sensitivity to different kinds of ratings throughout the world actually have uh, I've seen occasionally affect games. The reason that there's no longer game because it automatically bumps up the rating in Europe to have any sort of simulated gambling. 
so like so like all of those went away there there's like you can see the problem happening in the fourth generation where like i can't remember which game but like one of the i think it's the fourth generation where uh the entire the entirely chance-based game corner placed with like a sort of lights out style uh mini game called voltorp flip in the like english versions of the game and i guess they decided they didn't want to have to keep making uh like altered versions so they just cut the game corner for all versions uh after that and that's why like when you get to like the remakes of uh gen 1 and gen 3 like the game corner is either gone or in gen the gen 3 remakes there's like a sign on it that's just like uh the game car corner has uh permanently closed thanks for all the fun basically <laughs> it's just like acknowledging that there was a game corner there in the original versions and it's gone <laughs> but yeah like that that kind of uh, it's one of those things that's like fascinating because it's like, oh, that that the the desire to make a more uh, global skew uh, means that they had to cut that from every version of the game because it uh, automatically bumped up the rating to like twelve plus in Europe. <laughs> so, uh, and also, while the Dragon Quest games are lacking casinos now, or. Uh, I mean, they still have them. Dragon Quest XI, uh, has two casinos, actually. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, I think they've just given up on selling those to children in, uh, North America and Europe. Which, probably fair, it's probably, it's like, there's enough content in Dragon Quest, uh, certainly Dragon Quest XI, uh, that, like, would give parents pause that you would probably get, it would probably get a teen rating regardless of whether there was gambling in it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, um, let's see. How important is plot in an MMORPG? You are asking someone who does not care about MMOs, but I'm ready to say that the amount of FF14 fans I know that are fucking obsessed with the lore means it's actually a lot. Yes. <laughs> uh, I have a brother who plays lots of, uh, World of Warcraft, so I can attest to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So lore bombing. Yeah. I mean, like, the plots are structured differently, but the plot is still something that draws in a lot of people. Like, my fundamental inability to engage with MMO plots is part of why I can't play them. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyone else have opinions on this? I just wanted to pull that out of the way. No. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, eventually I will find out if Shadowbringer is as story good as people say. Uh, so the the fourteen one. Yes, that's the one that won the big gamer RPG of the year. Yeah, I'll take their word for it. I, I me and MMOs don't mix, but the one thing I will say is that it was real nice of them have one expansion called Stormblood and one exp expansion called Shadowbringers so anytime someone says FF14 SB, someone has to clarify which of the fucking expansions they mean. <laughs> uh, let's see. And another MMO question. Is it just me or does it seem like MMOs are less likely to fail because of specific gameplay features but because of the state of infrastructure and management? 
I mean, MMOs are a management place spinning game uh, in terms of, like, making a successful one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, part of the reason that MMOs tend to be so derivative of each other is they're so high risk, you can't just make an experimental one-off MMO and see how it does. Like, there's something that you pour your whole company into. Or, like, a huge division of a large company. And you want as many guarantees as possible. So, it really does end up, like, how well is the con how well have they set up, like, a pipeline of new content? How well have they, like, thought out the fundamental design? Because those are the two things that it's going to have to sit on. Uh, and... Uh, here's a fun one. Uh, that Wheels might know something about, since he knows someone that actually plays this. Is WoW running purely on momentum now? How long do you see it will go on? Uh, no. Uh... I mean, it, this, it, it hit some ridiculous highs, but and anyone should have been able to tell that yeah, it's not going to stay there. So, you know, it's settled. Oh yeah, the question was more: is is the thing keeping people there just momentum, or is it like uh, actively like engaging with a lot of people? And I, I mean, it must be. Yeah, I have is. no idea how. Um, do you still play this, Twins? No. <laughs> no, I do not. It's not for me. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly I think that uh, Inertia is probably keeping a fair few people playing, because it's like part of their social outlet at this stage. But I feel like even that's kind of died away. Cause like the people for whom that was just who were running on inertia would have been doing that for at least six years at this stage. So I feel like the people still there care a lot about it, and yeah. aren't ready to let it go. And like the for for the question of how long do you see it going on, EverQuest is still is still active. You can still buy new EverQuest. I don't wow. see a reason to assume that. World of Warcraft is going to wind down any time in the next 10 years. Certainly not. Oh no, this one's just for wheels. Yes. Do you want to talk about any specific card-based video game? That... Any so. specific card-based video game? Uh, See, yeah. I played one of the Full Metal Alchemist video games, but for Game Boy Advance, it had an interesting card system. Yeah, well, that's not a failure, if it's interesting, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they had to be bad card systems? Yeah, any specific card-based video game that fails. I assumed that that could be a failed card game, but I suppose it could also be... Like, I assumed that meant a bad one, but I assume it could also be one that just didn't gain traction, so I suppose you can talk about okay. it. Um, study quest. Study quest. That sounds like a trick to teach children to do math. It was, in fact, it was a it was a math-based RPG created by this educational company in the late '90s for PlayStation as one of their items, um, <laughs> and it's based on the the uh, this thing that Japanese children learn to do, which is like speed calculation for basic arithmetic. Yeah. 
and um, I could not manage the sixth grade level of this game. Um, <laughs> not not just because I kept forgetting that Japanese people write their fractions in reverse to how you would normally do it in English. Oh. Uh, which is a bit of an issue. Uh, but the fact that it was a card-based game where each card had a number on it. And um, the fact that it was possible to run out of numbers. And run out of mathematical signs. Oh, no. And very hard to find some of the mathematical signs. Sounds rude. <laughs> yes. The fact that all of these cards were like one use only, so you had to find places to restock. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it was. I think it's one of my lowest rated games. Let's see. Uh... You know, look this up. Elevate yourself. Let's see. Uh, that equips. Uh, Adventures on Calculator Island. I don't want to go to Calculator Island. That sounds awful. Well, I mean, especially after Lord Randam took over the place and uh, caused problems. But yeah, um, we are talking about literally the game where the random number generator is the actual um, villain. I do appreciate that uh, that uh, Wind in the chat is just shouting about Gwent now. Is he? Oh god, Gwent. It's a thing. What's Gwent aside from a city in Canada where former Q&A guys live? It's a, it's a Witcher 3 uh, card game. Uh, what, what rule set would you say it most resembles Wings? Gwent? Yeah. Nothing. It's its own thing. Well, I'm just saying, like, if you had to compare it to another card game. Uh, Stratego? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh, yeah. So, is our archive site down? Yeah, I'm not seeing... Like, I was trying to pull that up open. I was getting... Yeah, I'm, I'm getting, like, error messages. Yeah, we'll have to, yeah. have to alert some administration about that. Um, but yeah, Study Quest, Adventures on Calculator Island. It was an awful game. I gave it, I think that was one of my 1.5s. Give that or a 2. Um, one of my lowest rated games, for certain. Yeah. I ended up having to beat it on, on Kindergartner level. It had some funky enemy designs, but... I mean, it was also like first generation PlayStation 1 3D graphics. Uh, uh, yeah, Wheels, you got any that you want to highlight? Uh, Baton Kaidos. It's a nice card based RPG that didn't really take on, even though I've got two games. Yeah. And also it had that one card that you needed to wait two real-time weeks to turn into another card. What? What? Let me look up the, like, button kite Descent speedrun. Okay. Yeah, hundred speedrun.com. 100% 341 hours, 20 minutes, 3 seconds. 
dear. Because there is like a card that turns into another card over the course of like two real-time weeks. So you just leave the game on for two weeks? Uh, they have to do all sorts of other things to like optimize that run, but yeah. Okay, why is it so long? In this game, items evolve over time. There is an item, shampoo, that takes literally two weeks uh, to evolve into splendid hair. Yes, the creators of the game love jokes. Uh, but if it takes 336 hours, why is your record a little longer? Because the items pause evolving when in the menu, so you actually have to menu really efficiently. Thing is, it's a card-based RPG, so you're menuing nearly all the time. What you want? When you want to change your decks, when you select your loot at the end of fights, when you want to shop, you can very quickly add hours when you play casual. That means we have to minimize absolutely every menu in the whole game. We have to stay outside of menus while idling. Also, you get the shampoo at around 45 minutes. Then, when it evolves, you have to fight the final bosses. It takes a few more minutes. In the end, it means a theoretical uh, minimum time is a bit over 337 hours. Time spent in menus is always, always way longer than you imagine. Does it mean you can't sleep for 15 days? No, of course not. <laughs> it just means that you leave the game running for, like, you go out and do stuff. Ungodly amounts of times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, granted, I, I do remember at one point... I mean, just for fun, or just for the hell of it. Um, back when I was playing um, Soul Hackers on the PlayStation, just leaving the computer on overnight for the real-time banking to just work out in your favor. Yeah. Yeah, so there are people that, for whatever reason, do this 100% wrong. There are multiple... Uh, the world record was apparently broken sometime in 2020, so... Yeah, people people do do that category. Uh, uh, and something something card fighters clown. Uh, here's one that might. Uh, that's probably a relatively quick uh, answer. Is FF14 the final point of Ivalice of setting, or will Square Enix give Yasumi Matsuno another shot at a game? I don't think they could convince Yasumi Matsuno to make another game. Yeah, for me. Seems absolutely done with, like, AAA game development as, as a whole. Like, that, that that's over. Uh, and I wouldn't want to force him to uh, I think I think it is fair to say that FF12 was in as a human being in terms of being able being interested in large form or la large scale game development. So like the only things he's been lured back for, as I can tell, are he wrote a design document for a Kickstarter game that's still not out. He uh, made one of the guild games for level five's guild series on 3ds that did not uh that was a short form game that was probably completed and made on a small budget with a small team and he did the evil east raids for ff14 which did not require him to full scale direct a video game uh i would suspect that uh these are 
that, that you will probably not ever convince him to make another large scale game. And so at that point, it just becomes, does someone else want to take up Ivalice as a setting? Because, I mean, Square itself is not going to stop someone from making an Ivalice game because it's a name with... It's a setting with some cachet, and they're not going to just throw it out. Uh, yeah, that, that would be my, uh, my standing opinion. Um... But this does uh, bridge into another question we might have something for. Is there any RPG franchise that benefits from having a different studio than the original developer? Uh, franchise. Mm. Yeah. Uh... Pretty tough to say, because like, cause like, you're also looking at like a ship of Theseus about this, and it's like, developers are more than a company, and that's usually the continuity of development you get. Uh, Wind hmm. brings up liking Knights of the Old Republic 2 more than 1. Uh, same with Fallout uh, New Vegas versus 3. That's that's one that people would bring up a lot. Uh, although that's like in a in a roundabout sense, Obsidian is closer to the original company that made it than the yeah. uh, from the company that was making Fallout Three. But Kotor uh, is, I, I would feel, a bit more debatable, uh, just because uh, Two is so unfinished, but. Uh, yeah, um, and also what else do I think of it like any others, because, like, a lot of these RPG franchises don't actually change hands that often. Like, uh, you, like, it's really, like, the, the, uh, low-budget ones that you'll find, like, occasionally come back from another studio, and, like, when they come back, they're still low-budget and still, like, oh, this is kind of neat, but not that interesting. Like, I think of something like Glory of Heracles, where it's like, well, that went away, and then it came back, and it's kind of the same as it ever was, because that was the reason you bought the rights. You wanted to make a relatively, like, low-budget, generic sort of game with, uh... With the with a slightly more identifiable uh, skin on it. Mm hmm. Hmm. Let's see. Something. I mean, it's it's gonna be fun to see what the next Metal Saga game is gonna be like. Yeah, that's been a, that's had a very up and down history since the original developer passed. Yeah. So I mean. Since Metal Saga, I mean, Metal Saga is the name that they came up with because they couldn't actually get the rights to Metal Max at the time, even though they had the studio. Yeah, they had just so, about uh, everything else except the name. Yep. So, um, it's gonna be, um, since I'm not quite sure, I mean, was Createch even involved with the Xeno games? That's a really bad uh, question. I don't know that they I would, exist I mean, as such. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if Createk exists anymore since Final, since Metal Max 4. Um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how success deals, or what success does with Metal Saga, the new one. Yeah. And, honestly, it cannot be worse than Metal Max Xeno Reborn. Yeah, I'm seeing like three developers with hands in the pot of Xeno, Kadokawa, Cattle Call, and 24 Frames. Yeah, and Katakawa was the publisher. Cattle Call, I think, was also involved with Metal Max Four, so I think they may just that may actually be the the success. As close of us, yeah. I mean, Cattle Call's existed for a number of years. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I just, I do need to check something because I just I think I just noticed something. So Xeno Reborn 2 got renamed. Correct? Wild West. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, the English Wikipedia article does not reflect this. It's still, uh, it's talking about Xeno Reborn 2. So. I have to go, uh, petition Wikipedia to rename that. Um, okay. Metal Saga game announced for 2021. So. I heard that they're just letting these two franchises coexist now. Very strange. Um. The strange part was the fact that they at that they announced them together. Yeah. They, they decided, like, no, we're just going to try to use these both to promote each other. Yeah. This is going to be a really... Yeah. Yeah. I expect to be buying at least three games in the series in the next 12 months. Um, whether I will like them all, that remains to be seen, but you know what? It's going to be interesting. You're You're not ready to stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's amazing that Xeno Reborn didn't, didn't just kill my interest in the series entirely, but um, then again, I played the entire DS generation, and that was awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the series has had ups and downs. Hopefully, it can come back up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Think of much off the top of my head. I think that Deus Ex three and four are better than Deus Ex two, but I mean, that's more just that Deus Ex two was a huge bump to destroy the company. Mm-hmm. Any other good questions to talk about? Um, 
I figured I'd just keep going down the list at this stage. Oh, uh, this... Keep going, keep going. What else we got in this wonderful list? Yeah, this is not one that I know that I could say much about, but I don't know that any of us will be able to. Uh... If there is a specific thing or identifying mark in Naoki Yoshida's games, what is it? I mean, Kawazu, Nomura, and Sakaguchi have their own signature perks, right? And I would say that yes, all of them have definitely have things that they return back to. The big problem here for why I personally can't answer this question is almost everything Naoki Yoshida's ever worked on is a uh, fucking MMO. Uh, like, in terms of... Uh, Naoki Yoshida is Yoshi P. He's the guy in the, like, exact in charge of FF14. Uh, before that, he was involved uh, in FF11 in some fashion. Oh, no, wait, that after that, he was put in charge of FF11 in some fashion as, like, the division chief. But he was, like, producer and director on the uh, FF14 game for a while. I think he still technically is. I don't know the division of labor on how FF14 expansions are, but I'm seeing him credited as producer and director on this. Uh, I don't play FF14 and I don't know it, but like before that, most of his stuff is like Dragon Quest spinoffs. No one's ever, like, no one has ever bothered playing in English because there are games with names like Dragon Quest Monster Battle Road. Oh, yeah, that one's like an arcade game. Yeah, like they're, they, they are, I, I can't find credits like earlier than that for him. So, like, I, Wikipedia claims he worked on like an N64 Star Soldier game and Bomberman 64 The Second Attack, which would imply that at some point he may have been uh, employed by Hudson Soft. But who knows if that's even accurate? I haven't checked uh, like a better biography of him to find out why what. And like he was apparently involved in the development of Dragon Quest X. Which is another, like, okay, he was involved in another MMO. So, like, I guess his signature at this stage is MMOs. I have no idea what that means for FF16. But then again, he's the producer on that and not the director. So, who, God only knows. Uh, who is director on that? I feel like that... Hiroshi Takai, it looks like. Who is... let's see... Uh, and he used to work on Saga games. Hmm. He started... Uh, his first project was apparently the first romancing Saga. For which he was a background designer. Hmm. And then he was on FF11 for some period. Yeah, Hiroshitakai became one of the three battle effect designers working in FF11. So yeah, uh... Yeah, he seems to be like a long time, like... Someone on, like, the general Kawazu team, because after FF11 he just ended up in the last remnant. Uh... So yeah, uh... 
But yeah, as for Yoshida, I'd like, uh, sad to say, I uh, don't think any of us plays enough FF14 to be able to, like, because, like, the thing about when you say, like, Kawazu or Nomura or Sakaguchi has a signature, it's because things keep showing up in those games, in the games they direct, even when the games are completely unrelated. And, like, there's not enough body of work for us to draw off of to know what sort of signatures that Yoshida favors. Like... Could, like an, another thing I would bring up, who's like for from someone that's not an RPG director, but who's like really overt in their taste. Uh, Suda Fifty One, you could spot his games a mile off because they're the only games you're gonna play with that are just full of assassins and luchadors. <laughs> like both of those show up constantly in his games, and like you know those are, that's like a very surface level thing. There's a lot of other things about. Uh, Suda Fifty One uh, games that are more like that are beyond the surface level. Uh, an obsession with uh, very strange allegorical uh, allusions to real world politics and a general like uh, loving, sometimes loving, sometimes biting parody of both. Uh, East and Western nerd cultures. Uh, but, you know. Say what? Say, didn't he, did he do Lollipop Chainsaw? He did. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of his, a lot of his, although that was also in, in uh, working with uh, James Gunn, who I believe cut his teeth on promo films, or promo homages at least, so. Uh, they both have a love for sort of grindhouse as well. Let's see. Yep, definitely. But yeah, um, yeah, like that. His uh, I was when I was thinking of was uh, James Gunn cut his teeth on like promo homages, I should say, not actual promo films, but uh, yeah, um. But yeah, like you kind of need a big body of work to catch these kinds of things. Like Kawazu's love of like tabletop esque randomness or uh the uh tendency of Sakaguchi games to repeat like certain like structures and story beats that are reminiscent of like the games he's clearly the most fond of, like FF4, those sorts of things. Those keep coming back up. Uh because like they're things that their their creators care deeply about, or like uh, Nomura seems to love like uh, Japanese like Tokyo fashion and uh, general uh, uh, gen generally caring a lot about like really experimental combat systems. Uh, yeah, like those are those are how I would uh, classify like the identifying signatures of them, and like again, those those are things that you need at least three or four unrelated franchises uh, to like be able to discern that's a pattern, not just uh, uh, repeating something from the uh, same game or franchise. And I don't know enough about Yoshida's body of work otherwise to be able to say 
what else would fit into this pattern? Uh, uh. Um, anyone else? Uh, I don't think anyone else knows enough about Yoshida to say anything on this, so I guess we can. Nope. Okay, we'll hit one that we've kind of, I've kind of brought up before, and it's a nice one ten. Mm -hmm. uh, leaves us with only twenty left. <laughs> wow, uh, it's been how uh, many months? Uh, I think he sent these late last year, so, uh, and we've still got a few more yeah. that we have to like cycle back to. Uh, but you know, we'll get to those when we get to them. Uh, but yeah, um, question 110 was, speaking of Sakaguchi, why is Mistwalker located at Hawaii and not either Japan or main, or mainland America? Sakaguchi just likes it there. Dude's lived there since Square Pictures was formed. I can only, the only thing that makes sense is he just doesn't want to leave. Where, Which, where I mean, it? fair. It's in Honolulu, Hawaii. That's where Mistwalker is located. It's a nice place. Yeah, and it's also it's... like literally equidistant between Japan and America. Yeah, and that was probably the justification for why Square Pictures was located there. But he's never lived, as far as I can tell, he has never had like permanent residence anywhere but Honolulu since the Square since Square Pictures. I like I don't think he wants to leave. I think that that's probably a lot of why. He has made the decisions in life that he has. He just like he just wants to live in Hawaii, so I think it's as simple yeah. as that. And it's a nice place, and he has enough money to survive it. Yeah, like if you can if you can live there, I mean, why wouldn't you just want to live in Hawaii? Yeah. So you know, I, I'm not gonna blame him. Like, just just take the money and live and live life. Have, have enjoy what you do. Uh. But yeah, I don't think that there's any broader business, broader like business purpose for that. Like, Hawaii is not like teeming with incentives to start tech businesses there. So, I think it really is just that's where he wants to be. The weak feed the strong. Uh, yeah, that, that puts us at question one ten, and I think that's a good stopping place. Unless we've got something else we want to discuss. Oh, I finally managed to get the, uh, the review proof ordered. Good. <laughs> yeah, was, everyone might recall that was the, the uh, what was it, the drama of the week last week. So, so um, hopefully in the next week and a half I will actually get it. So. <laughs> also, thank you to our nice friendly moderator for rising all these spam. Which moderator? Uh, it appears to be... It could be Tam or it could oh. be Wynn. They both have moderator symbols next to them. <laughs> yeah, I think well, all staff members are... Well, I don't think they don't know if all staff members are supposed to have... Yeah, but... In any case, thank you to whoever's been killing those things. They're very irritating. Uh... But yeah, uh, if that's where we're stopping, Gaijin. 
Oh yeah, so yeah, speaking of review proof, yes, uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by, by Michael Yadimizu, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, uh, with... Did I cut out or did Gaijin? I think Gaijin then. Dang. Poor guy's gonna have to do that spiel again. Mm -hmm. uh. Well, Gaijin, come back. Back. That's my bit. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Sweet. I'm the one. I'm like, we should both be responsible for having stolen a copyright. Of this one. Sure. Gretchen popped out of Discord and reappeared. Can he hear us? Record stop. He's salty. Okay, am I back? You are back. Okay, you're back. Okay, exactly how far into the spiel did I get? You got to the point where you said it was available on Kindle and Kindle on Okay, good. Okay, so yes, yeah, so nine episodes and now two side quests available on in ebook format. Um, the second side quest is available as of today, actually. Okay. Um, so, and, I mean, if you had if you bought the third paperback collection, you could read it in advance, but now it's available in ebook as well. <laughs> so, um, so yes, yeah, so if you're the, um, so it's if you think or if. Okay, what was the spiel again? Um, train of thought derailed. Okay, so if you if you're interested in tabletop gaming and uh, just childhood drama and things, check them out. It's all good for me. Yeah, uh, no, this is not my best advertising moment. Okay, okay, it happens. Yes. Okay. Okay. But yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so give that a look. Um, um, give it a look. Drop some kind words in the review section. Anything. Anything's helpful at this point. And they then, all help yes. the algorithm. Yes. Obviously, um, I do prefer. I, I obviously do prefer good reviews. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um. As for Wheels, Wheels is still trying to stream Neptunia games. Yes. Yep. That was a bit of a debacle oh, oh, last week. Yes. Wheels, um, so they, um, the, the store downtown has a, like, a bin full of old collector, um, collector box editions, uh, yes. for, play, state, for PSP and PS3 mostly. And they've got Mugen Souls Z, uh, in the collector's box for half off it's about 3000 yen but maybe 35 dollars oh god why it's, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because i was looking through my ps3 download library before and scrolled past uh -huh. mugen soul z and it's like 
Wh what? Apparently it was a PS Plus game at some point. Ah. <laughs> was that the one that that Maxstrom tricked you into downloading? Almost. 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 Wheels. Almost. <laughs> no, instead, poor Trent ended up trying to review it, and I'm pretty sure it broke. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain like class of like really bad like that was Idea Factory, right? Yeah, that was. Yes, no, wait, was. that was Compile Heart. Uh, I, I mean, same, same thing uh, at this point. I mean, they're that, technically different companies. They, technically they, different, but they, they're jo literally joined at the hip. Yeah, they are, yeah. on on average, much better now, but that was back when... Like, in the like, PS3 era, there was a class of game that came from them yeah. that was just, like, hell games. Okay, the Mugen Sold Z, Wikipedia at least, claims was internally developed at Compile Hard. Uh, yeah, it's uh, man. There's a, it's a. I can't wait for that to get remade. Yeah, and we also have to play that. Yeah, I mean they can't make it worse, can they? Knock on wood. Don't tempt them. <laughs> but yeah, it was. So the only things of real interest to us would have been that and the new Atelier Rorona PS3 box. Nice. Almost everything else was visual novels and stuff. That makes sense. Was any of them called Instant Brain? Not that I recall, but I wasn't looking too closely. Instant there's, Brain, okay. There's a 360, uh... Uh, like, oh. visual novel called Instant Brain that, uh... It's very amusing Sorry. to me because... It, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 360, right? Yeah. Yeah, Instant Brain scary. is very funny yeah. to me because it contains within it a port of like cave shooter uh, Godon Pachi. Mm -hmm. And that's just very funny to me. It's like, what's what's the bonus features for this visual novel? Well, it's a really hard bullet hell shooter. <laughs> I mean, that was about the only thing that the 360 had going for it on the Japanese market was that it was full of bullet hell shooters. Yep, bullet hell shooters and that one Tails game. That caused the console to sell out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. Oh, that, uh, but yeah, uh, we should probably wrap this up though. Uh, so yeah, you can you can watch Wheels uh, struggle with the. Uh, vagaries of streaming technology every Sunday uh, until he gets bored. Even streaming technology with my internet connection. That's the vagaries of streaming technology. Okay, fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, every Sunday, uh, getting on to like, yeah, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific. Uh, so, you know, that's always fun. And of note, that's only on the RP Gamer channel, it's not on my channel. Yeah. Exclusive. But yeah. Uh, so keep that in mind and, you know, maybe have a have a fun time attempting that. Uh, and of course, Q&A Quest, which, uh, I mean, I'm, we might as well plug, but this usually happens on Wednesday nights at, like, 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific, around that time. 
Uh, if you want to join us in chat, like our good friends Tam and Wynn did tonight, that's always good. Thanks once again to our questioners, Kroll and Fireminer. Uh, really helped us avoid the worst of our possible tangents. But uh, you can, if you want to contribute to that noble force of stopping me from just being able to talk about whatever garbage, uh, you can leave questions under this episode in the comments section, or you can leave them on the RP Gamer Discord, which you can find by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab, which will give you a uh, link. It's a nice Discord. There's a lot of nice people there. I recommend it. Uh, Sam, don't encourage me. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that would be, you know, if you, if you want to join but otherwise, uh, I guess see you space cowboys. See ya.